Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Oh, who else? McDonald! again everyone this is episode 81 of americans watching the footy i'm ethan castle coming to you from south san francisco california and i'm benjamin castle coming to you from south san francisco california this is episode nine of season two it is our round two preview which i wasn't initially sure if we were going to be recording tonight yeah we have a bit of a power outage but then i got solved in a surprisingly efficient manner which is a pleasant surprise you know a lot of these episodes we have a cold open this open is hot why because you're doing it is that what you're gonna say no it's just hot this is a hot open i was going to sing something about having the power to record but it just doesn't neatly fit into the song can't stop us from talking about the footy yeah hopefully we'll be a little bit more concise than we were in our last episode that uh yeah that kind of ran long but it was super fun to do. I mean, it was, it was super free-flowing, and I'm glad that we had so much to talk about, but yikes. I, I kept editing it, and I was wondering, I didn't doze off while I was doing any of this. No, it's just two hours long. If you didn't, like, double some of the clips or anything. No, never. Because that is a thing that happens sometimes. Not not in this, but I've seen it. I mean, I've heard it happen in in other podcasts, so... That ain't me. I, I line up everything at the start. So I guess now comes the part where we just start breaking down all the games and everything because the only, like, newsworthy item is that there are now more allegations against Taron Thomas. And it's unclear as of yet as to whether these allegations came from before or after he started his behavioral counseling program. I mean, I guess you hope it's before because that would imply that the program he's been in has helped him, you would think. Well, one thing we had last round is one sibling showdown. It was the Himmelberg hoedown, and we didn't really talk about it because I wasn't sure how notable Elliot Himmelberg was going to be. Harry ended up taking something that's probably going to be at least a nominee for Mark of the Year on Brownlow Night. Super clean, Mark. But this week, Footy starts with the Clash of the Deconings, and Sam ought to be playing... Geelong and Carlton get things started Thursday night, 7.20 p.m. local time at the G. So that is 4.20 a.m. Eastern, 1.20 a.m. Pacific for American viewers. Neither team has recorded a win yet on the year, but uh, Carlton's got points. Yeah, it's weird feeling like the Cats are in a must-win spot in round two, but it's somewhat like that. I don't think it's as drastic as a couple years ago after losing to the Crows and needing to... Rebound with the win over the Lions when you consider the injury situation, but... And they barely did rebound over the Lions that time. They honestly shouldn't have. 
But I feel like there should be a sense of pressure on both these teams, all things considered. That said, this is Geelong without Tom Stewart. It looks like Cooper White's going to make his debut as the sub, and Jack Bowes is going to make his Cavs debut as well. Sounds like White is going to be in a bit of a defensive role. At first, there was a report that he might be the guy to take some kick-ins, but considering now he's only going to be the sub, would it end up being Tui most of the time then? Especially with Stewart out, I can see it being Tui. Yeah, probably Tui. I mean, Buse could drop over there a little bit. I've seen Blitzoffs do it on occasion. I mean, you've seen him play every position. I expect him to be named in all five starting lines at some point this year. For this game, he Blitzoffs is just listed as an interchange. Appropriate. You looked at the All-Australian team last year and you tried to figure out where does he belong, and you had to put him on the interchange. By no means is it that he's ranked between 19th and 22nd on the team. It's just he is the ultimate interchange player. When these teams met last year in round 18, the Cats won by 30. Two things that I remember very vividly from that game. Jeremy Cameron kicking an awesome snap from the boundary. It was the one where he juked Lewis Young and then kicked with the left. Was that a goal of the year nominee? I don't know if it was, but it should have been. I think that was the same round as the Draper goal of the year. Yeah, it was. So I don't think it even won that round then. But it should have. Yes, I'm biased here, but I thought that was a better goal. And I thought Toby and Curvis had the best goal last year. Well, Cameron's was the better kick. In terms of the full play, Draper might have had him beat, but yes. If you don't remember Toby Nankervis, this was round two last year, I believe. Just tapped it straight out of the air onto his boot. Eddie Betts had a similar goal in 2021 that I thought should have earned him his fifth car. But the real highlight of that game was what happened after the game. The moment the game ended, the Sam Piconing, Fuck yeah! And that's what I'm really hoping for another of in this game. Just the relief at beating his brother? I think it was mostly that. At the AFL Awards, a few weeks later, Decoding's mom had the interview about watching the Geelong Carlton game from Bali. Say, you know, we were lucky we were drunk in a bar in Bali. Every time Geelong got a goal, we went gay. And every time Carlton got a goal, we went gay. So are they going to be in Bali again for this one? I hope so, but I want a live camera on them. Like, you know, the, the camera of, like, Hawago Oya's family reacting to his first goal. I want it like that. And they also had a great shot of reacting of the Oya family and everybody in Port Moresby reacting to Noah Anderson's winner a week or two later. We need more of those cameras on fans. Not fan cams, but cameras on fans. I mean, I also wouldn't say no to a Brian Myers fan cam or a Brad Close fan cam. Get on it. You think I do these things or have the ability to do these things. Anyway, the actual game. Yeah, looking at Carlton's injuries, one change. Corey Durden is in. He's the man who blew their season last year. We really liked a lot of what he did, but that kick to Jeremy Howe was not among the things we liked. Durden comes in as George Hewitt goes out with a hand injury, so even more of a focus will be on Matthew Kennedy off of contests. He's, I know, somebody that you really wanted to focus on this year. Uh, Yeah, even though he's a pretty well-established player, I picked him because he's kind of like... He's obscured behind the more notable names in the midfield, and I think Hewitt's a more notable name. Yeah, it was, it was more that he's just a guy that I hadn't thought much about than anything, but... 
tell you who I did think about last week was Jacob Wiedering, who I thought had a really nice game on the back end. And just the guy you trust with that last lot of defense role, I remember you saying. And if he stays healthy for the full year, he and Mitch McGovern could really combine to be important last line intercept marks because you'll have Lewis Young probably as that sort of spoil. Yeah, so the Cats are going to need to find a way to probably avoid avoid weedering McGovern and Young to a lesser extent. Wouldn't be shocked if they have a relatively low percentage of set shots in this one, or at least a low percentage of marks coming within 30 meters of goal. I don't think they're going to get off to that 16-1 start again this time. I really hope it doesn't like completely go in the other direction, because it would really suck if all that great kicking from last time completely goes to waste but Geelong 116 22 I'm worried that it wouldn't be to that extent but it could be just like some regression of the mean hopefully it's not as bad as like early season Frio or Bulldogs last year I'm hoping that the regression were just some of the kicks that they missed in the final minutes last game and they're saving the good kicks for when they really need them I will say I think Lockie O'Brien was an inspired choice as Medical sub last week for Colton helped provide some really good run in the fourth quarter. Had Harry McKay fucking marked that kick, O'Brien would have been hailed as one of the people that led Carlton to a win. So I guess just based off of the fact that Carlton got two points last week, you would say that the Cats are the ones that need this game more. But I think there's some level of pressure on both sides. Look, neither's won yet. They're both very relevant clubs when it comes to just league discussion this year. They're both teams that are expected to be in the finals race, if not in finals. So yes, of course there's pressure on both these teams. Geelong is favored by nine and a half. Do you find it surprising, Ethan, that the Cats are favored? Not that they're favored, but it's probably a couple more points that I would have favored them by, considering no Tom Stewart, even though they did do just fine without him last year. That was one that kind of really caught people's attention. We'd, we'd already took note of a lot of his skills, but the rest of the league really caught up with us then. But Jack Henry was also healthy then, and he certainly helped. That said, when Henry had to play without DeConing, that's how Buddy got his thousandth. That was the one game Sam did not play last year. But the biggest concern isn't just for DeConing to be on the field, but for him to be fully functional because, face it, he was at maybe 30% at the end of the last game. Honestly, 30% might be generous. I thought it was more like 20. He's going to need to be active, and hopefully Jack Bose is going to be able to step up in a defensive role right away. Mentioned he's going to be making his debut. Just right now, between that and not having Kola Jashny, who I'm a little bit surprised wasn't selected, the matchup's one-on-one against... Harry McKay and Charlie Kerna will come into focus very early. Well, both being listed on the center line along with Tanner Brune and Max Holmes, but Isaac Smith is listed as a halfback, but they're putting a lot in Asava Radagalea, who I think can handle it, and Zach Guthrie, who I've been more and more confident in every week. It's going to be a real test one-on-one for Radagalea. Second half last week, he gave up a couple just bad free kicks. I remember one to... Dan McStay in the goal square in particular. The good news is I trust this team to score far more than the 58 Richmond put up. You'd have to really fuck up to do worse than that, especially because of how many points Richmond gave away. 
then again, I would expect Carlton to also pick up more than 58. Oh, certainly, which is weird because for such a long time, you looked at the Great Wall of Geelong, and unfortunately, they obviously don't have all of that personnel right now, but I can't just sit back and say, oh yeah, as long as they get to 70, this game's in the bag. I'm thankful that this game will be available to a wider American audience because it will be on Fox Sports 2, as will the Friday night game. It's relatively uncommon that you have both the Thursday and the Friday games here on US TV. I appreciate that because as much as I love Fox Football, one of the unfortunate things with Watch AFL is a lot of times you don't get the full seven coverage. You really just get, you know, when the ball is bounced up until the final siren and just a few seconds before and after. So I look forward to having that again. Like, I would have loved to be able to watch more of the pregame stuff with Joel Selwood last week. So about that Friday primetime game, this will be the first time that teams who matched up three times last year will be facing off. And there is potential for it to happen again this year because Brisbane and Melbourne double up against each other again this year. They meet in round 18 at the G as well as bouncing just before 7 p.m. local time at the GABA on Friday. Remember, Queensland does not observe daylight time. Normally, when teams have met so often, it starts to wear on me a bit, and I'd rather see other matchups. But considering how much better the most recent matchup between the Ds and Lions was, I'm really excited for this one. I'm not even thinking about it from the quality of that most recent matchup, I'm just thinking about it from the number of narratives you have and that no matter what outcome we get, there's going to be a storyline. So first off, the Lions come in 0-1 after a really shitty performance in Port Adelaide. The Demons come in at 1-0 with a win over the Bulldogs. When you consider the injury situation is pretty impressive, they will be getting some reinforcement this week because Stephen May will be available for selection as will Bailey Fritch. Looks like Jack Viney will also be available. So this is going to be a much more complete Demon squad. And when you consider how the third meeting between these teams went last year, I'm sure they'll be pretty hungry to get another crack at the Lions. Remember that Melbourne blew the Lions off the field in both rounds 15 and 23. They doubled them up both times. That round 23 game was the one with the infamous Dean Zorko, Harrison Petty run-in. Zorko apparently said something about Petty's, was it his mother or his sister? And then the Lions came back and beat him in the semifinals that I don't think anybody saw coming. I think the only good thing people saw coming for the Lions before that game was Joe Danaher's kid. He missed that game. And Eric Hipwood more than made up for him. That reminds me, I don't think Jeremy Cameron's wife has had his kid yet oh yeah that could factor into things then yeah that's that's a possibility so let's keep that in mind but this is going to be a day after that hopefully it doesn't conflict but um yeah melbourne favored by two and a half and i i hope we're just in for more close games between these teams because these should when it's all said and done be two of the four or five best teams even as disappointing as brisbane was last week i think that they just haven't quite found some of the necessary defensive strategies for their halfback and midfield races. A lot of new faces in there and a lot of players who are just very good runners. Connor McKenna is a very good runner from halfback with the ball and a very long kick. Had one from, I think, 
59 out this past week in Adelaide. But considering that the Lions lost a lot of their depth in the back six for round one in particular with Darcy Gardner being out and also with Marcus Adams being inactive, everybody's going to have to pitch in more. I think there's also going to be a bit more focus on forward 50 pressure for Brisbane. Now, one guy who's really effective at moving the ball out of the back is not going to be available for this game. Yeah, Kadeem Coleman was concussed last week. So going to put even more of an onus on Daniel Rich to be that interior halfback mover. And I think McKenna is probably going to be the other one to make up for Coleman's role there. Should open up a spot for Noah Answorth. Now, they could always go with a third tall defender because, as Michael Whiting notes, Melbourne does have a whole lot of tall forwards. So Dara Joyce could be that guy. Also, look for my sleeper Ryan Lester to maybe fit in there instead of Answorth. Lester is has been one of those next men up in defense for a number of years now. It must be nice for Melbourne to think after that performance, you're going to have to find a way to replace some guys who really don't deserve to be taken out. I mean, it kind of solved one of those spots. Yeah, Kazi being out means it's easier for them to slide Fritch back in. Watch for Kate Chandler to be someone that kind of makes up for Kazi's absence Really good connector between the midfield and both small and tall forwards last week. Good forward pressure in general, and also got his first goal. So I was really high on him. I was trying to pick him up in fantasy, but I did have a couple bigger priorities and somebody else got him as a restricted free agent. Was he the one who got the goal in his 69th game? No, that was someone for Essendon. I think that was Jordan Ridley. I think you're right. Yeah, Kate Chandler hasn't played nearly that much and yes jordan ridley did it in style yeah chandler has played a total of 11 games since 2019 i think these next couple games are really going to allow him to state his case for the long term obviously considering how poorly round one went there's a lot of pressure on the lions and i think it's less pressure to win or just pressure to look competent like look even if they lose by two as long as their midfield isn't the sieve it was last week that'll be a sign of improvement again there's such a quick team to to rebound and start forward from wins in the center square but they've got an answer coming back the other way locking neil's defensive abilities are going to need to show the tough thing if they start zero and two it would be an understandable zero and two but it doesn't get much easier with the Bulldogs and Pies in the next couple weeks. I mean, the Bulldogs, on paper, are the easiest of their first four games. Melbourne's also got the Swans after this, so a 2-0 start would definitely give them a bit of a cushion heading into round three, get them on track for the top four really nicely. I just hope this is a good game. The last few meetings between these guys, we've had some duds, and I want this to be a game that keeps me excited the whole way through. This should be the sort of matchup where, at the end, you're able to, you know, show someone who hasn't watched footy, like, hey, this is what this sport is at its best, capped off by a really good club song, no matter who wins. Yeah, these are probably both in the top three. We actually had a full ranking of the 18 club songs that we did last year, just look up ranking special in our old episodes. We also talked about the Sir Doug Nichols rounds jumpers. Melbourne being favored by two and a half makes sense to me, considering the combination of the GABA advantage for the Lions and Melbourne's form coming in. 
I wouldn't have been shocked to see it maybe a couple points higher, but within a goal makes sense. Yep, no issues there. Got the normal quartet of games on Saturday, and fuck you, Eddie McGuire. Normally, the first Saturday game doesn't tickle my giblets or rustle my jimmies like this. Hey, North and West Coast didn't do that last week. I mean, it ended up being entertaining. It was a game that I was intrigued by, but it's also not the sort of game where you're like edge of your seat from the opening bounce. It's like it doesn't jump off the paper to you. Here's the thing. For us on the West Coast of the United States, this first Saturday game, it's Friday night for us and it's right around dinner time. So it's like, all right, I'm going to settle in. I'm going to eat. I'm going to, you know, pay more and more attention to this game as it goes on. Should it command that? Now, this one, you're going to be locked in from before the opening bounce. With how both teams performed in their first games, that ought to be the case. Collingwood and Port, the prison bar battle, I guess. But the teams have collaborated a bit ahead of this game. I think it went along with the agreement that Port can use their traditional jumper next week for showdown. They organized a bunch of buses for Port fans between Adelaide and Melbourne. And that's a decent ride. That's eight hours or so. So cool to see that collaboration there. Would love to see more of that between teams, regardless of venue. Like maybe flight vouchers or something to go along with tickets for interstate games. Yeah, whether it's the traveling club supporting that or the host club kind of welcoming them in. I think it's great. That is something that you definitely see like in soccer. Like a lot of times, like in in England, if the visiting team has a long trip to make, like home club might give the visiting fans a free pie or something. Good old pie, look at that. So I'm all for it. So like I said, this game gets underway right around dinner time for us on Friday night, 7.45. If you're on the East Coast, 10.45 p.m., so plenty of time to settle in from whatever you were doing. 1.45 p.m. bounce at the G itself, and if you're in Adelaide, it's at 1.15 because, remember, South Australia is 30 minutes off. I mean, if you're in South Australia, you, you probably know that. I hope you know that. Half-hour offsets are pretty rare in general. I forgot until recently that there is a half-hour offset in North America, Newfoundland, is half an hour ahead of the rest of the Canadian Maritimes. So they're four and a half hours ahead of us here on the West Coast. I like Nepal being set off by like 15 minutes from India, which is offset by a half hour in itself. Some of these are definitely like just to just like, fuck you, I'm different. I think at times Venezuela and North Korea have done stuff like that. They don't seem to be employing any of that right now looking at this map, but that's probably not what you're here for. That would be for Americans watching the time zones or Americans discussing the time zones. Or... That seems like a podcast that you would totally have, though. Yeah, I mean, it probably wouldn't be this angle where it's like, hey, we're Americans talking about this. It would just be, I'm talking about this. So right now, I'm going to talk about Port Adelaide and Collingwood. You know, they met only once last year. It was in round 20. Collingwood won by six. But as Braden and Mason discussed on the Mason Cox show, it wasn't like your typical come-from-behind Collingwood win. It was a game where they actually led most of the way and had to hold off the power at the end, which was kind of like Port's 2022 season in a microcosm. Meanwhile, in 2021, they played twice. 
Port won both times. Their first meeting that year at the G in round 10, Port had to mount a really strong comeback in the fourth quarter to win that one. Ended up scoring four goals to two in the final term to win 59 to 58. That was a game in which I got really invested. It was a Charlie Dixon smother coming after and behind that led to a Dan Houston goal that started that comeback. Houston's someone for the power that I really noticed last year had a couple really good games to start the year. Another one of those halfback link guys who can venture forward pretty easily. Not as long a kick as Kane Farrell, but an accurate one. To have him on one side and Taylor Adams on the other as kind of a midfield to forward link is really interesting. You could see them kind of occupying the same space and maybe matching up against each other. And I'm not sure, though, if Port has the quantity of players that they can include in that in that uh, linking group. I mean, I guess you could try and put Rosie and Butters and Horn Francis together like that, but it isn't as clear a connection as Colin would have from bounces between Mitchell and Adams and Goat. It just seems like the type of matchup, even though they might not physically be on each other the whole time, it seems like the type of matchup that could dictate who wins and loses a game like this. Like, which of those chains of players get more meaningful passages could dictate things. That makes sense. Charlie Dixon being matched up against either Darcy Moore or Nathan Murphy should be fun. Dixon, again, looks healthy, slimmed down, had three goals last week, and a lot of Port's half-board play is still determined by his spot, his matchup. He's, He's just so visible and so relevant that even if he isn't getting the ball, a lot of the eyes follow him regardless. I was just glad to see Port Adelaide, even though it was just one game, look so much better than they did last year. And I was quicker to buy in on them than some of the other teams that really strutted their stuff in round one because we're not that far removed from Port Adelaide doing this regularly. Also, Port's going to have Travis Boak available to play after missing the first round with a rib injury. So another piece to put in there. Want to see how he really figures in how he might supplement that younger chain of players that we saw do so well last week. Maybe he'll get some more forward time to make room for them. Well, I'm going to go out, make a kind of bold guess here that Jeremy Howe is not going to be playing this week. You're telling me you can't recover from a compound fracture in a week? Oh, you know, it's only a flesh wound. Tis but a scratch. Running away, eh? You yellow bastards! Come back here and take what's coming to you! I'll bite your legs off! But Collingwood won't call it a draw because their rivals did that last week. According to Josh Gavilich, the most logical thing would be for Billy Frampton to make his Collingwood debut in that spot. For him to come alive, as Anthony Hudson would say. He said that in the last passage of the showdown last year, I believe. Ash Johnson kicked four goals in a VFL practice game, but it's going to be hard for him to get in as anything more than an emergency, I think, just because of how well everyone else played. And with Reef McGinnis doing so well as the sub, I think it's going to make it even more difficult, whether you have to put him in as a key forward, as a tall midfielder. He's earned at least a sub role for another week. Yeah, I would think he's going to be the sub again. Seems like a pretty safe bet considering how good he was at it. Maybe you swap him and Josh Carmichael around to get McGinnis a full game, but I think Carmichael uh, did help offset a little bit the uh, loss of Pat Lipinski. 
Uh, that said, Carmichael wasn't super visible, so I could see Michaelis over him. That would actually make some sense. And then you could, I mean, you could make Johnson or someone like Oleg Markov the sub then. But the thing is, you probably want your sub to be someone who's pretty versatile. So that's why McGinnis makes sense in that spot, less so than Johnson particularly. But few players make set shots as fun as Ash Johnson does. From a body type standpoint, I see how Johnson could make himself useful if he was thrown out of position. It's just he probably doesn't have that much experience. Considering how little experience he has at the forward position, you would think he has even less experience elsewhere. I don't know. His brother does some decent things when he's got a little bit of midfield time, though he's going to be on the sidelines this week. But I'm jumping a little ahead here. Firstly, it's important to note that these teams will match up again this year. They'll be meeting in round 19 for a return leg. And, oh, I would love to see Port try to rationalize wearing the bars for that one. It's not going to happen because of how well things have worked between them, but I would imagine a lot of Port fans are going to show up in bars. Collingwood visiting South Australia is always good theater, whether it's against the Power or the Crows. Or playing the Saints this year in the... Gather round. Yeah, the Pies are visiting the Adelaide Oval three times this year. I love it. Um, Collingwood favored by eight and a half and just carrying over from last year. It's like, well, yeah, you trust them to win a close game, don't you? They had all those wins in a row by under two goals. Makes sense to me. Even though last week they technically won by 22, you know, it was it was that same sort of they get down three goals, they climb back, they get down three again, they climb back and eventually they take the lead. Yeah. But yeah, looking at that next game, there's connection with Ash Johnson there because Shane McAdam is his brother, and we found out that McAdam was given a three-week suspension by the tribunal, which the Crows are planning to appeal. Now, given what was handed down to Kazi Pickett and seeing a bit more severity in the aftermath for Jacob Ware compared to Bailey Smith for Pickett, it makes sense, but each of them should have gone at least a week more. Again, what McAdam did was bad, but you can see how it happened during the run of play, whereas Pickett just fucking launching himself, you know, what is a much more conscious decision than impulsive? So McAdam won't be playing against the Tigers. A lot of different players, a lot of different body types who can fit in in his place. Then McHenry is a good chance then. Lachlan Villant had four goals, as did our guy Riley Philthorpe. I guess the question there is, what are Philthorpe's merits over those of Elliot Himmelberg? Ethan, you focused on the Crows game last week, so thoughts on the younger Himmelberg's performance then? Yeah, after Brian finishes giving me a bath. Yeah, he came into the room during our discussion of the first game. Hasn't had much to say yet. That might change, though. Yeah, when the Crows were playing well, Elliot Himmelberg had a lot to do with it. And he kind of vanished in the second half, as did the rest of the team. He was kind of in this role where he was at the edge of the 50, setting stuff up. You know, he had one to set up Fogarty. He had one to set up McAdam. It maybe wasn't the type of role I would have expected him in, considering his body type. But when he's playing well, Crows can really overwhelm teams. Just, I was so disappointed in their second half. Disappointed to the point that you'd make a number of changes? I don't know what I would do because a lot of it's probably just reshuffling deck chairs like they've been doing over the last year. So I don't know how much good that does. 
And you know, it's appropriate to tell you about shuffling deck chairs because I imagine a lot of be bringing out some deck chairs to the berm at the Oval. We do need to take in a game from the berm at the Adelaide Oval when we make our footy pilgrimage. Now, Richmond coming into this game, obviously they're coming off a draw, but I think more notably, they got their asses kicked at the Adelaide Oval last year, and it was a 19-point loss in the game that the Crows won pretty convincingly. That was the one time all year that the Crows mainstays in the back really put it together. Jordan Butts, Tom Duday, and the now-departed and aforementioned Billy Frampton. And thinking about the back line for the Crows this time, Max Michelani did a lot of good things in his first game. Some debut jitters, but positive overall. And he'll need to continue being important because Josh Worrell is probably three weeks out from returning with a hamstring injury. I find it surprising that Patrick Parnell wasn't in the lineup to begin with. Nathan Schmuck lists him as like a possible entrant into the lineup this week. I mean, Parnell's a young guy, and I think the real issue for him in some of these more physical matchups is just how small he is. Even though he is on the small side, you've got your 21-year-old defender. It's not like you've got an established lineup that's taking you to the promised land or anything close to it. After you give up triple digits like last week, I would strongly consider playing the young guys and giving them not just a chance to play, but some stability because when you've got them looking over their shoulders, that isn't good for their psyche. That isn't good for their development. I think having a young guy like Nick Murray get subbed out, I just think that's counterintuitive. When you need to be developing guys, you need to be letting guys settle in and building something of a future because I think the better performances for the Crows, what a coincidence, other than maybe Taylor Walker, it's usually the young guys that have been at the center of it, and even if the young guys haven't been that good, I think you still got to embrace them and see what you have in the tank, because if the young guys don't have it, then you've got to consider a full rebuild. The Crows and Tigers will bounce at 4.05 p.m. local in Adelaide, so that's 4.35 p.m. for viewers in Victoria, New South Wales, and Tasmania. For Americans, it's going to be 1.35 a.m. Eastern on Saturday the 25th, 10.35 p.m. Pacific, Friday the 24th. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus telecast here in the United States, so we'll be following along on Watch AFL, which is a much better deal for what we want than Fox Soccer Plus. Richmond favored by 8.5. I have no clue what to expect out of this game. On Richmond's side, by the way, they had Marlon Pickett subbed out last week. That was part of his plan as he's coming back from an adductor injury. According to Sarah Black, Damian Hardwick basically said there's no way Noah Cumberland's getting in the lineup because he's competing with Dustin Martin for a role. And maybe Jack Ross moves into a full-time spot instead of the sub because Ryan Mansell didn't have a great game. Probably not expecting any other best 22 returns for Richmond because Yvonne Soldo and Robbie Tarrant are likely still a week or two out each with a foot and hip injury, respectively. And I've said my piece in our team preview about how I think Soldo might have plateaued at this point and that Ben Miller is the one whose form has been improving, although I can't quite say that about his goal kicking yet. You know what's so interesting about this game? This is probably one of the less appealing matchups of this round. And yet, 
there's no way to get around that both teams really need this game after last week. A lot of people, including us, expect Adelaide to be somewhat significant risers this year, and this will be a chance for them to prove themselves against better competition again, and they usually are a team that needs to clean up at home anyway. Meanwhile, it probably doesn't get any easier than this for Richmond until maybe round seven or eight, because after this, they got Collingwood, the Bulldogs, they play Sydney in the gather round, and then they've got the D's. Kind of nuts. Who needs this game more? Richmond. Richmond is expected to be the more relevant team come August and September. And based on that alone, it's them. If the Crows were expected to be a team that could leap into finals this year, I would argue Adelaide because of how much better they do at home than on the road. Five of their next six are at the Adelaide Oval, but one of those is Port's home showdown. Others include games against Frio and Carlton. And then after a trip to Tasmania to take on the Hawks, they got to deal with Collingwood. So I, I don't know. I just feel like if they fall to 0-2, it would be really disappointing after they had been, you know, after we had identified them as a team that could have really made a rise this year. But I think, and also after their first half against the Giants, I think they'll cash in on a few more chances. I would expect Rankin to kick better than 2-5. And I would expect Taylor Walker to be a bit more visible because he was not great last week. Darcy Fogarty didn't get that many chances either between the two of them, especially with Tarrant and Gibkiss still out. I think they ought to get some opportunities. Ben Miller's defensive abilities will need to be on showcase here. I think I like Richmond to win this game. I think I like for it not to be a draw. I mean, I'd love to be able to sing the song again, but yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. But I I think Richmond, the odds of them going in there and losing for a second straight year, I just see that as a bit less likely. Well, I think... I don't feel super confident in anything about this game, though, which is part of what makes it fun. Then again, Richmond did win their last time in Adelaide, period, beating Port by 38. So they can build off that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back. Just a reminder that you can find us on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. Still not used to YouTube having handles for usernames. Just doesn't feel right. I am on Twitter personally at BenjaminHK01 and may provide some Eagles content there. I am on Twitter at Castle Media. Brian Harambe is on Instagram at CathNameGrian. He's currently sleeping at the foot of Ethan's bed and at the feet of Ethan. Cats are so much cuter than dogs when they sleep, by the way. Speaking of dogs, though... Oh yeah, I guess that does work as a segue. The Bulldogs are going to face the Saints as part of the Saturday nightcap. This one will start five minutes ahead of the other. This will be an FS2 game. For those of us on the West Coast of the United States, we'll be at 1.25 a.m. on Saturday. East Coast, 4.25, and then 7.25 p.m. in Melbourne. Obviously... 
This game will be at Marvel Stadium, considering that both teams play just about all their home games there. Although the Saints will have their 150th celebration at the G in another week. Good to see the AFL allowing the bigger crowd for that. And hopefully they show to celebrate all the great history of the St. Kilda Football Club. They brought out all 16 Premiership Cups for Essendon. I imagine they'll bring out all one of them for the Saints. Too bad they don't get like half of a crudely cut Premiership Cup from the 2010 Grand Final draw. That would be really funny. Like, you know the the old biblical story about like cutting a baby in half? It could be like that. The Saints would be the ones to say, no, no, let Conwood have the whole thing. When they kind of did say that a week later. Exactly. And Collingwood won by their greatest ever margin of victory in a grand final, too. Yeah, 56 as Collingwood's largest ever margin in the grand final seems a little surprising. Got a bit to do before they catch up with Geelong in that regard. This game has so much more intrigue than I would have expected after how bad the Bulldogs finished and how surprisingly good the Saints were. Yeah, the Bulldogs, I just think they haven't really figured out what to do with all the talls yet because throwing all of them forward doesn't seem like a good long-term solution. Now, they won't be as crowded in terms of tall forwards because Rory Lobb has an ankle injury and has already been ruled out. They'll also still be without Cody Waitman, still a few weeks away from returning from a groin injury. Josh Gablish on the AFL website says that Waitman may not be in until round six, at least. So does that keep Aaron Naughton for? I know he had a couple of pretty bad misses last week. I don't know. I think a lot of that will depend on Liam Jones' health. He left with a neck injury against the D's. And I think Naughton's marking ability is important enough that he could have some significant time at center half back. And I'd rather see Sam Darcy forward than Naughton. Now, I don't think the Saints are going to make too many changes because they actually played pretty well last week. But there's a chance they get Marcus Windhager back. And he is listed as available. I think you've got to get him in. And I would assume you just decide, all right, you're going to tag Bailey Smith. Maybe Smith, maybe Adam Trelore with how strongly he showed last week as that midfield to forward wake. That's not impossible, but when I when I look at this, I think this is going to be the first game where the Saints really do miss Patty Ryder because even though Rowan Marshall is perfectly solid, perfectly cronulant, I think against Tim English, it's not going to be as easy. And I imagine also you can see Naughton doing some backup ruck work uh, because the real issue with English is that as strong as he is, he also doesn't have any other true backup. Stefan Martin's retired and really Naughton seems like the next best pick there. Maybe Bottom Pelly on occasion in the 450. We saw him do that a couple times. But again, it's another one of those games where we're going to see, you know, probably some less usual players taking some of those ruck contests. And as you were talking about last time, figuring out who those players could be can really open up some greater versatility in the lineup and mean that they might not need to cordon off one list spot for a pure ruck. Now, Marshall isn't a pure ruck. He's got forward ability, but the point stands. English, meanwhile, is one of the most versatile ruckmen in the modern game. I put him right alongside Max Gaughan in that respect. I think he's just a really good overall player regardless of position. One of the best taller handballs I've noticed. I'm starting to wonder, though, with the Bulldogs, you know, we've talked a lot about Luke Beveridge, but 
I wonder how much of it could be their list management altogether that just, I don't know if it builds a team that's especially designed to have great success. I think just there are some parts that fit together really awkwardly. And I don't know if what they've got is supposed to really add up to make a complete team. I see really solid individual pieces, don't get me wrong. I mean, that that's the talk that we had all of last year. And when I put out some of my criticism of Beveridge on Twitter, a lot of Bulldogs fans come to his defense and target the list management with their criticism. The more I think about it, the more I understand it, just because it seems like there are some parts that really don't fit all that well together here. I was surprised at how well everything came together for the Saints last week. I remember you really highlighted Jack Bytel is fitting in nicely, and hopefully Anthony Caminiti has another good performance and continues growing as a top-flight player because he's definitely earned that spot for another weekend. I would love to see him and Max King be part of that solution together for the Saints once King gets back. As I've said, I think the Saints played pretty close to their absolute best possible game last week. Where could you see some improvement then? I mean, they just weren't tremendous offensively. I don't see too many areas in which they can improve is the thing. And that's why I think their ceiling's pretty low. But I wouldn't be shocked if they win this game. They really were able to control the tempo in the second half last week and keep Fremantle from that frenetic pace that they really like, although although Fremantle admittedly didn't do much on their part to push the pace either. I think you know how last year it took some teams a little while to adjust to the new Michael Voss Carlton? It's going to be the same thing to adjust to Ross Lyons and kill a 2.0? I would be very unsurprised if that happens. So you're thinking then that it's probably going to be closer than the 28-point margin of victory the Bulldogs had last year in round 18? I think so. I think the 13.5-point line, now that I think about it, makes some sense. I would probably consider making that line a little closer, though, because I just haven't been that impressed with the Bulldogs. And while the Saints could completely fall apart, they also have that new coach smell. New coaches have yet to lose a game this year. They've also yet to draw a game. They're actually 4-0. Speaking of new coaches, one of them is going to get put to the challenge in the other late Saturday game, staggered off this one by a whole five minutes. So if you were thinking about going to the bathroom when one of these games goes to a quarter break, think again. Yeah, good luck. Um, you're probably going to need to save that stuff for that overlap when both the games are at halftime. Yeah, Frio and North will face off in the first game at Optus Stadium this year. Hopefully, we don't have problems with the Optus Stadium turf like we did at the MCG turf. If problems do arise, though, it'll be the same person to blame, Ed Sheeran. His mathematics tour coming up so close on round one is why both the Dockers and Eagles played away last week, and now they'll both be at home. That said, I think... Considering that Optus Stadium gets used a lot less, it should be in better shape, we hope. Although it is getting used for two games this weekend. It'll be a 4.30 p.m. local bounce in Perth, so 7.30 p.m. in Victoria. For American viewers, 4.30 a.m. Eastern, 1.30 a.m. Pacific on Saturday the 25th on Fox Soccer Plus or Watch AFL. It feels so weird to see North Melbourne as 1-0, but... Bailey Williams exists. 
Well, multiple Bailey's Williams exist in the AFL, but one exists for the Eagles. Considering how bad they look, or maybe bad isn't the right term, I think flat's the better term. Considering how flat the Dockers looked for a lot of last week, there's a lot of pressure on them to come up and perform for this game. And they'll have to work through a pretty sound defensive structure, I think, because North sent up well ahead of the ball last week. That's something for which Alistair Clarkson is known. And Frio need to get back to really what worked so well for them last year. Pushing the pace, handball chains through the middle. They've got the speed for it. They just can't have 136 marks again. Oh, but only eight of those marks were inside 50. So just a lot of uncontested, trying to figure stuff out from the back, and it didn't work. The sort of stuff that you might do when you're protecting the lead in the fourth quarter, but this was being done all game, including at times when they weren't protecting leads. Now, I don't think I can predict Nick Larkey kicking six goals again. No, I don't think Frio plays a style where they just get lit up by one guy, typically. And their backs generally held up last week. That said, Nathan Wilson, I thought, was terrible. And I think it's hard to justify putting him in the lineup even after just one game because it was it was real bad. When someone shows that poorly in round one and we've got such high expectations, yes, please pull the plug, try something new. Now, the question is, you know, where really does another piece fit in there? Do you want Ethan Hughes to do more in the back and then maybe allow Nathan O'Driscoll to come into the lineup as that wing? I think that would make a lot of sense if Hughes is comfortable. It looks like O'Driscoll should be good to go. He had another foot injury plaguing him. I would not be shocked if they made some pretty substantial changes. I don't think that's really Longmuir's MO, but when you have these options, Jai Amis, Sam Sturt, possibly Michael Walters, although they may give him another week at the lower levels, still working his way back from an Achilles injury, don't, don't rush those. See, I don't think of this as like a we're panicking move. If they do make a bunch of switches, I think of it as just we're, we're looking to see what works. Yeah, just we're trying to get our best 22 out there. And I don't think they had their best 22 out there last week. Bailey Banfield not being in that best 22 was something I could continue to question. Now, what's to come with Matt Taberner? Because he got subbed out. He's always had back problems. Not listed on any injury reports. Hmm. I mean, I think it's just that he's Matt Taberner. And maybe... They wanted to get Luke Jackson into the game more by subbing him out as well. But I think Jackson needs to be just outside the center square as that center half forward through which a lot of things run. It's going to take some time figuring out the proper role for him. But that center half spot is something that worked for him at Melbourne. And so that's something on which they could fall back. For North, the obvious switch would be Todd Goldstein back in after a week of not being selected because Tristan Jerry's hurt. So North fans have your Israeli flags or uh or stars of David in tow because expect Goldstein and Sheasel to be in. And yes, you are allowed to have Israeli flags at the Oval. And lots of boxes of Cheezels. Oh, of course. Again, I am waiting for North to partner with Cheezels for some special packaging at their home games or at Arden Street. I love that he's already been extended. You know, do it now before, like, 
a couple of blowout losses that make him question, why am I here when I could be at Collingwood or Geelong or something? Or maybe before he just continues racking up great performances and his price goes up. Seeing this is something I like that a lot of baseball teams have been doing lately. Instead of giving lengthy contracts to guys in their 30s, just like extend them while they're young. We've seen it with, just to throw a few names out there, Julio Rodriguez, the entire Atlanta Braves, Wander Franco, Corbin Carroll, the most recent of them. And I think it's something that can work in a lot of different sports where it's like you can find a deal with these guys where you're not going to have to pay them as much as they'll command when they get to free agency. It gives the player a chance to kind of have a security blanket in case they get hurt or something, or if their development doesn't go as planned. For the most part, it seems like a win-win situation, and I like the idea of doing that in really any sport. Not much to talk about in terms of the last meeting between these teams. It's It was just, it was ugly football. I mean, it was a quadruple. Frio won 102-24 to in Route 8 last year. 24 was the lowest score any team up last year. They were five points clear of a GWS performance in Round 17 at Port. When these teams met last year, that was a Friday night game? Yeah, it was a Friday night doubleheader. Because I remember this game. I just remember it being bad while I was watching a much better contest between Port and and the Bulldogs. Anyway, I think this one will be a little better. I think it'll be a great test for Sheasel if the forward pressure returns to its form for the Dockers. I think Sheasel can operate in that really well. I don't know if the other defenders can. I mean, Sheasel has been able to operate through pressure on all parts of the oval. He's a pretty versatile player, so I can expect him to to be able to work through things. But the rest of their defensive group, still without Ben McKay, I'm not super high on them being able to combat a lot of that. I think the line of 30 and a half is a little high. I mean, I get that the Dockers might just come out mad and hit him in the mouth, but I don't know. This is a strange one. Benjamin, any other observations about this game? I mean, I just want to, I do want to see more from the other defensive pieces for North. Josh Goder, Miller Bergman, if they both get another crack. Riley Beveridge reports that Aaron Hall looks to be behind both Goder and Bergman in the pecking order. As someone who drafted him, that kind of blows. You haven't dished him yet? I did. Lewis Young is now in that spot. I'm surprised Young was even available after round one. Not like he was injured or anything. Played all right for himself. I mean, AFL fantasy is kind of weird at times. And we haven't fully figured it out yet. Obviously, this is our first year playing in. There are some defenders in particular who you notice a lot, but don't necessarily bring in the points. And then you have guys that just rack up points because they're bringing the ball out of the back end, like Aaron Hall does when he actually plays. (laughs) So first game Sunday is by far the least enticing game of the week on paper. Well, there was a storyline for it that had been prefabbed. But that's off the books because Buddy's suspended. And this is the only time the Swans and Hawks are playing this year. I mean, of course they can always match up in five. I I can't even say it with a straight face. Like, not to dunk on Hawthorne because, again, we like what what they're doing. It's just, it's going to be painful this year. And it's going to be painful at the SCG. This game is 1.10 p.m. on Sunday, local time in Australia. 
So 7, 10 p.m. for us on the West Coast of the United States, 10, 10 on the East Coast. It's on Fox Soccer Plus. I think there are a couple of ways this game could go. One is the Swans are just up like 41 to 9 after a quarter. And the other is the Hawks hang around for a while. And it's not until the second half where Sydney really pulls away. But at some point they will. They'll just out-talent them. And then the question is just what can they do to kind of pile up the percentage? So you're not expecting Hawthorne to jump out to a 32-point lead like they did in Launceston last year? Probably not. Again, that's a game that was just really indicative of where Hawthorne was last year. I mean, there's always a chance they just go, you know, center clearance goal, center clearance goal, center clearance goal. I mean, the Swans can do that just as easily. But yeah, looking back at that Anzac Sunday game, Hawthorne led 32 to nothing. They led by 14 at quarter time, 15 at halftime. They led by nine at three quarter time, and the Swans scored nine goals to one in the fourth. Hawthorne is a young team, young team that loves to run a lot of speed all over the ground, and they just couldn't maintain that pace for an entire game. And they still can't. Even if they could maintain that pace, they're just at a talent deficit in pretty much every position. Obviously, Mitch Lewis being out doesn't help either, especially with how much we like Sydney's back ranks. Oh yeah, even more scoring difficulties for Hawthorne because Chad Wingard's going to be out. It seems like a pretty minor injury where they're just playing it safe. It's a back injury for him, spent most of the second half on the bench in the loss to Essendon this past week. So you could see Ned Long or Tyler Brockman make their way into the best 22. I think Jack Scrimshaw stands a good chance as well. They were all included in the round one squad. For some reason, I think of Scrimshaw as being way older than 24. Maybe just because Scrimshaw is an old-sounding name and it's an old art form. Ah, brave men all. Lost sons of New Bedford. That's good Scrimshaw. The thing is, I think of most of their backline as being a bit on the older side, so I just kind of associate him with guys like Sicily and Frost, who had a down game last week, big time. Yeah, the... Bits and pieces of that game I watched, he was giving up goals pretty regularly. And even without Buddy to match up against, it's still not going to be easy for Frost. Just the Swans' depth all over the ground, and their depth in combination with youth is pretty insane. Now, I have no clue who's going to take Buddy's spot. Could be Joe Lamarty, could be Aaron Francis. We'll see if Amarty's hamstring has healed up enough. Francis seems sensible. Lachlan McAndrew could make his first appearance. I wouldn't be surprised if they go with the young guy. Go with the guy who hasn't played before at all because this is probably a good game to do it in. And I don't think they're going to really beg for anybody be, to be coming back quickly from an injury for this one. So wouldn't be shocked to see Robbie Fox and Ryan Clark stay on the sidelines for another week as well. Swans are favored by 40 and a half, which... Uh, does that seem low? No. It's just you don't normally see a line that wide in round two. And you don't see normally see a line by that much and think, oh yeah, seems about right. Second game on Sunday, I don't have like a catchy name for this, but it was the game that gave us the goal of the year last year, even though I still maintain that Nan Curbis and Cameron had better goals. We ought to said like 
an aluminum foil medal to Toby Dan Curvis or something. I I just want to give him like one of those special recognition awards where it isn't, you know, one clean category, but we just like the way he plays in general. But he isn't a bomber or a son. He's teammates with some former sons, though. So is pretty much everybody. The most prominent former son for Essendon won't be in, though, because Peter Wright is still out and will be for quite a while with his shoulder injury. So it's the Bombers hosting the Suns at Marvel. It's the typical 3.20 p.m. start time for that middle afternoon game. 2.20 p.m. for viewers in Queensland. For Americans, 12.20 a.m. Eastern on the 26th, 9.20 p.m. Pacific on the 25th. And this is going to be on Fox Sports 2. Hopefully it's a more competitive game for both these teams than they each had last week. As it then beat down on Hawthorne and Gold Coast got beaten down upon by Sydney. Remember last year when these teams met, the Bombers won by 48. Now the Suns at that point had been on a pretty nice run and they bounced back the next week for a really competitive Q clash. But there's some pressure on Gold Coast and I think Stuart Dew himself should be feeling that pressure considering how bad they looked in round one. It's not that they lost. It's about how they lost. They were blown off the field. Caleb Graham ought to be in the mix. He wasn't mentioned at the In the Mix article, but he ought to be in the mix. I mean, I guess there's a bit less of a need for him when you're not facing Peter Wright, but I just think the whole defensive structure looks better when he's included. And with how bad they looked last week, Ballard really struggled. McPherson was borderline unplayable, I thought. Ballard and Collins, their assignments make more sense in the context of Graham being in for what we saw last year. Elsewhere for the Suns, though, you could have number six pick Bailey Humphrey making his debut after a foot infection pushed him at a round one. And Lockie Weller could be in the AFL side or might rehab in the VFL, but he's likely to be in for his first action since suffering an ACL injury nine months ago. That was the first of a string of devastating injuries for the Suns wingers. Other than Peter Wright, it's a pretty short list for Essendon. They could get Jake Stringer back this week, but they played really well last week, so all the more reason to ease him into it. I don't know. If Stringer's fit enough, maybe they could have him as a sub. That might box Walla out of things, but if their goal is to get Walla to full fitness, maybe give him a full run in the VFL. There's a case to be made for both of them getting full time in the reserves. Still, that shouldn't be... Wholesale changes should be a couple of minor tweaks for a team that, look, it's legitimately possible that these guys start the season 4-0. After this, they have the Saints and Giants, and then things get a hairy lot tougher. Yeah, it's not just hairy, it's gauntlet stuff. It's furry. It's not just hairy, it's furry. Melbourne in the Gather round. Collingwood for Anzac Day, Geelong, Atport. At Brisbane, Richmond. All gas, no brakes. So I can't go pumping the Bombers up that much, even if they get to 4 0. They are favored by 10.5 here. If, yeah, that seems a little high, but here's what I'll say. If the Bombers get through round 10 at 5 and 5, considering what they'll have had to go through, then I'll be impressed. Then you start to think, all right, finals are a legitimate possibility. Now, the other reason why it's just easier for a lot of people to tip Essendon in this one is 
Gold Coast are still looking for their first win over the Bombers in Victoria. And I have to specify that it wasn't just on the road because they had a home game against Essendon in Victoria in 2021 amidst the shuffling of a bunch of games with Queensland being locked down at various times. Back in round 22, Gold Coast had a home game against Essendon in Cardinia Park. They've otherwise played six times at the Bombers, six times at Marvel. So this is the first possibility for a truly historic win for a club this year. You know when the second possibility for one is going to be? In the next game? Yes, you probably knew that because you had it in your notes, but... And I knew it just because it's history that involves the Eagles. The Eagles play host to the Giants in the Sunday nightcap, and it's, well, it's definitely a nightcap if you're looking at Eastern time because it's 6.20 p.m. for viewers in New South Wales and Victoria and Tasmania. On the West Coast, it's going to be 3.20 p.m. I guess they just didn't want to have a midday game there. I mean, some of it's also probably giving enough time to change over from the Frio game the night before. Don't forget that. 3.20 a.m. Eastern, 12.20 a.m. Pacific for American viewers on the 26th. And of all games, this is the first one to be on Fox Sports 1 this year. I really don't know what to say. Are they... Really that excited to show the Giants? Or maybe that some scheduling person is that hyped up about Oscar Allen? Maybe people see Giants-Eagles and start to think of the NFC East. I mean, look, realistically, it's a matter of which time slots Fox gives. It's not like the league is going to change any of its scheduling around a few thousand American viewers. It's just notable because it's the first. And yeah, the Giants have never beaten the Eagles at Optus Stadium. They've played there three times. Round 6, 2018. Round 2, 2019. And Round 13, 2020. More recently, last year, the Giants beat the Eagles at the Sydney Showground in their first game under Mark McVeigh as interim head coach. It was a 52-point win. You know, under McVeigh, the Giants have picked up this identity of, all right, we're just going to play fast and try to outscore teams. I think they're going to need to be doing some of that under Kingsley. Seemed like at their better moments on Sunday, they were doing more of that. And Stephen Canelio led things so well out of the center square in the second half. And the other midfielders just get it, did a really good job winning possessions. They were playing forcefully, and they're going to need to do that again in this game. For all the good Josh Kelly did, he can't be part of that because he and Lockie Whitfield are concussed. So there are the 12-day protocols. Harry Perryman had a hamstring injury and was subbed out. So where does that put things other than Adam Kennedy probably coming in full-time as opposed to being the sub? I was thinking maybe it's an opportunity for Aaron Cadman to make his debut after kicking six in a practice game last week in the VFL, but Riley Beveridge reports he's likely to stay in the reserves. Could see Josh Fahey, an Academy graduate, pick 42 back in 2021, had a long-term injury last year. Could also be this past year's number 16 pick, Harry Roston. A lot of young options for the Giants, and I want to see them trialing out a lot of people in different spots, so great opportunity for that already for them. Unfortunate how it comes about, but the opportunity is there. Looking at the Eagles list beyond Nick Natanui, Achilles out again. Giant Coley could be back this week. So could Elliot Yo, but he'll find a way to injure something else, unfortunately. Like it's it's so frustrating. 
And I'm sure it's got to be a thousand times more frustrating for Elliot himself. I mean, how would you like to be born with glass bones and paper skin? Looks like Josh Rotham is out. Couple more weeks. Broke his arm earlier this month. Otherwise, I would say get him in for Bailey J. Williams, please. But I think Williams and Jamison are going to be in again. I don't mind Jamison. I mind Williams. I would love to see an early debut for Harry Barnett, but doesn't sound like that's being considered at this time. Here's a question I've got for you, resident Eagles fan. Yes? We saw some good stuff defensively out of Barras and McGovern last week. Who else could step up and really form something of a defensive core there? I sung my praises of Brady Hoff as a halfback and wing. Hoff got through a waffle practice game last week. Hopefully he slots in there. The solution isn't as clear for those solid interceptors like Barras and McGovern, but I'd love to see Hoff come in. Barras and McGovern are going to be in there no matter what. And, well, until McGovern gets injured, because he always does. Here's the tough thing. You may not have as many kicks to intercept this week because the Giants, even though most of their handball focus has been coming out of their own end, they're still handballing a lot more than in previous years. So maybe that means Ruben Jinby has another double-digit tackle performance. Had 12 on debut last week, second most ever for a VFL-AFL debutante behind Jai Newcomb. In that midfield, he could see Elijah Hewitt maybe making his debut if he's physically ready. And Hoff isn't a bad tackler either, so I'd love to see those younger players who are willing to be physical in the midfield get that time and really stop those attacks from GWS closer to the source. Giants are favored by two and a half, which I guess is right. You know, when I was looking through this week's schedule, that seemed like the least appealing game, but then after looking at it more, I was thinking to myself, you know what? This could actually be kind of compelling, and it's got to have the air to itself, so you're definitely going to be watching live. As an Eagles fan, I'm excited for the first home game of the season and for more of these opportunities for the younger group. They were so abysmal at home for so much of last year. Like, if more of their home games could have gone like they played against Geelong, where it's like they kept it within three goals most of the way, they were competitive, it was, you know, it wasn't like the Bulldogs game or the Sydney game or the Richmond game. I was thinking the Richmond game in particular. I think if you hear Richmond, Adam Simpson might still have a thousand yards stare. Or did they say thousand meters stare in Australia? I don't know. Do expressions like that, like give an inch, take a mile. I wonder how that translates with places that use different units. I would rather they use biblical units like cubits. Oh, of course. I've always been a big cubit guy. Sounds like a cubit is considered to be around a meter and a half? Fuck if I know. What I do know is 22 hours from the time we're recording this, I'll be watching footy again. And hopefully it'll go better than last week for me. Hopefully I won't be as royally pissed at one player as I was last week. So you'd rather the whole team let you down. Honestly, maybe. I mean, I'm sure a game like last week is frustrating when it felt like they did a decent number of things that are conducive to winning and then did just enough stupid things to put that out of reach. If you're going to lose, lose. If you're going to win, make it dramatic if you want. If you're going to win, I don't care how. But yeah, if you're going to lose, just get it over with. And that's kind of something that you should apply to any sport or life in general. If it's going to be bad, just get through it.
hopefully that wasn't the vibe for you guys listening to this episode because we had a lot of fun taking this all in and getting ready for round two. And we ought to be pretty active talking about it at Americans Footy on Twitter ahead of our next episode, which will be our recap. I really don't have much else to say other than that I'm on Twitter at Castle Media with K. I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Brian Harabe, the footy cat, remains at Ethan's feet and is on Instagram at CatNamedGrime. There are just a lot of photos of him sleeping, not just because cats sleep a lot, but he's just really cute when he sleeps in particular. Like, cuter than the average cat. And just super photogenic altogether. I think he actually knows the word look, too. So sometimes you can't actually get him to look at the camera for you. He also knows the word... Well, I almost don't want to say it, but I mean, he's sleeping right now, so I think he can say mouse. Ryan? Mouse? All right, he is out. Yeah, it didn't bother him at all. I'm about to be out, too. I'm going to go finish up at the Fortress of Dreams. I'll finish up at the Fortress of Dreams. And I'll finish up in my fortress, so thanks for listening, everybody, and enjoy round two. Thank you.